Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Megan Dobraz. I'm the pastor of college and career. Really glad that you all are here this morning, almost afternoon. We are continuing in our series today called Can You See It? It's about the kingdom of God and is specifically looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And this portion of text has us contemplating who a disciple of Christ is. So what does it look like to have this kingdom that's right now that we're invited to today to live into, uh, but then also as well as this kingdom in its ultimate form, the the form of eternity. What does it look like to have both of these? So thus far uh, in the series, we've looked at blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and blessed are the gentle or the meek for they shall inherit the earth. All of these uh, examples are of people who are blessed are, are counter to what our culture says about who's blessed. That these verses aren't describing the loudest, the best looking, the go-getters, but yet they are descriptions of what the good, full, admirable life looks like. What a true hero looks like. Those are people who Jesus describes as blessed. So today in particular, as Don just read, we'll be looking more closely at Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much that we have the opportunity to come together, to be with each other, to be your church. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears to hear your spirit, that we would hear your word, that we would know how to respond, and that we would be changed both as individuals and as a community. In your name, amen. One of my, uh, the aspects of my job that I do around here is that I get to be a part of facilitating conversation about faith and work and how those two things tie together. Lots of times people think that means I teach people how to evangelize at work, which is a very small portion of that conversation. The vast majority of the time we talk about what does it look like to live your faith in the places in which you are currently employed. So whether that's uh, being at a, a market, like creating a marketing campaign or being a project manager or uh, being beside somebody while they're in the hospital or writing code, like how do we bring our faith into those places? And, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time at those places of work, but we're spending more and more time at those places of work. In 2014, Gallup did a poll of adults in the U.S., and they found that on average, adults work 47 hours a week. And so you might be thinking, well, yeah, it's because... There's a lot of salaried positions. True, that's part of the story. But hourly workers in this poll uh, said that 26% of them work 50 or more hours per week. And of that 26%, nine of them, or 9% of them, that was more than nine, uh, 9% of them work 60 or more hours a week. So so hourly workers, 9% of those polled said that they worked more than 60 hours a week. For salaried positions, a little bit higher, 50% of them reported that they worked 50 or more hours a week, and 25% of them, so one in four of people who were paid salaries, work more than 60 hours a week, which is a lot of work, right? That's a lot of time at work. Immediately you wonder, like, why are people working so much? Though some people like, might have, be uh, forced by economics to have more than one job, in this particular poll, 86% said they only had one job. 
So do we all like love our jobs that much? Do we get true satisfaction from the work that we're doing? Do we really not have anything else to do? Like no other like presses on our time, so we're like, might as well just stay at work, keep plugging away. Or is something else driving these numbers up? Why do we work so much? Sometimes it's because the person who's in charge tells you that you have to, right? You're in the middle of a transition, your team's small, you're on call, whatever, you just have to, you don't have a choice. You can choose to stay and work longer or you can not work here. Uh, that's sometimes the option. But I also think, drawing on my own experience and three years of talking to a lot of Bethany folks about work, that a bunch of people work so much because it kind of makes us feel important that it kind of makes us matter. At work, our life has very clear purpose, right? We're hired to do something. We have a role to fill. We produce something during the day when we're at work, whether that's tangible, maybe a widget you create, or you provide meds for somebody, or you fold clothes, uh, or it's intangible. You offer emotional support. You share your knowledge with folks around you. Your day was worthwhile. Like You come home and you're like, killed it today. I, I, I mattered today. So we have this sense of value at work. The majority of people have jobs that make some sort of positive contribution to society. I'm assuming there's not a whole lot of like drug runners in here. The vast majority of us do something that makes a positive contribution to society. We feel good about ourselves. At work, we get some of our deep longings fed. This is just one example of where this can happen. And these longings and these desires are really good. The, the desire we have to matter, to have value, to be seen and heard, though we can use work to meet some of those needs. In many ways, there's absolutely nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, it's like admirable and to be commended. It gives us purpose and direction, and that's really good. Work as a thing is good, right? Work was created before the fall. It's not like, oh crap, now that uh, the fall we have to work. Work is part of our creation. And it also, in and of itself, is never going to fulfill us to the extent that we want it to. In this beatitude, we discover that Jesus shows us how to have satisfaction, that we can see that every part of our desire is intended, every part of the things that we long for is intended to shift us toward him, toward his plan, toward his point of our relationship with Christ. We discover this by looking at three facets of our longing. So it's in the outline of your bulletin there. There's, uh, it looks like we'll, f we'll find what it means to have right relationship with our longings, the right object of our longings, and then the right outcome of our longings. So first, right relationship with our longings. It means that we need to embrace hunger and thirst. Working a lot is just one of millions of examples of ways that we can try to satisfy the longings that we have. We're intentionally created with longings to be in relationship with people, to be accepted, to gain knowledge, to seek justice, to, to feel like we're contributing to the greater good. These things and more are placed in us by God. The very fabric of our being uh, is, is these longings. They're a gift from God. And yet the reality of the world that we live in is such that we can't ever get enough 
of the earthly form of them in order to be satisfied. We might feel full and satisfied for maybe a moment or a week, but really no extended amount of time because that's not what they're meant to do. Longings are meant to, the earthly longings are meant to be met for just a short period of time. Even when our longings are largely fulfilled through earthly things, it's really not enough. Even the best relationship, so whether that's friend or romantic, no matter how much intimacy, no matter how healthy you guys are, there are still places where there's a lack of intimacy, right? Where you feel like they just don't understand you in this one particular point, or either they can't or they don't want to meet your relational need that you're saying that you have. Arguably, one of the funniest men of his time, Robin Williams, was wildly praised by culture. He was so popular, and yet he was dying on the inside. He was accepted by millions of people, and that wasn't enough. He had adoring fans, and that still wasn't enough for him. It wouldn't be enough for us if we were in that same place. The list goes on and on that there are really good things in this world, and they can never fully satisfy because they aren't made to fully satisfy. When they don't satisfy, we, ended, we end up heading towards one of two extremes. First, we might, or one extreme is that we might conclude that the desire itself is bad. That when we're in the pain of an unfulfilled longing, when that's tangible, we're in that place, we can think that what went wrong is that we desired it in the first place. That if we hadn't pursued that longing, we wouldn't be in this pain right now. I think you can kind of see that if you've ever broken up with somebody, whether that's a friendship breakup or a romantic breakup, when you're like in that pain space, you go, oh, I'll solve this by just never risking putting myself out there again. And sometimes we do that really consciously, especially if you're talking to a friend. Uh, sometimes it's rather unconscious and we just kind of wall ourselves up a little bit more because it's too painful to feel this. One of the ways that we can mitigate negative feelings is by not feeling anything. If we expect nothing, then we won't be disappointed. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I did this awesome hike in Alaska and brought home Giardia. So that was not awesome. Uh, and I won't tell you the details because it was pretty foul. Uh, and I was rather sick. And predictably, if I'd eat, about 20 minutes later, I would be very sick. And like the kind of sick that you don't want to be in public when that's happening and work is public, and so it, it just was like an un, uncomfortable situation. So, but I only had these symptoms of like incredible stomach pain when I'd eat, and so gradually I just stopped eating because I could solve this problem by not eating. And if you don't eat long enough, you just find out that you're actually not really that hungry. And you would like, you'd think that I would have said something to somebody, but I just was solving my problem, right? Like it wasn't intentionally like, oh, here we go, this is a great idea. I just was solving my current problem of pain by not eating. So I thought that I'd really nailed it, I'd solved this problem, but rather the problem just reassigned itself uh, to another department. So I didn't have the physical part, problems of the stomach pain and the embarrassment of being in public, but I also had a bunch of other problems and I missed out on the joy that is eating really good food. I silenced one longing, the pain, to not feel ill, and in doing so, exacerbated other longings for food, which turns out runs your entire body, uh, and for friendship that comes with 
being uh, with people and sharing food over, uh, sharing fellowship over a meal. So one way we can respond to our desires that aren't met is to tell them to be quiet, to silence them, to say that you don't have a place here because my life is easier without you, but we'll just reassign them to a different department. The other thing that we can do is to convince ourselves that we don't have enough yet, but that what the world does have to offer would be enough if we could just have a little bit more of it. So another pair of shoes, another hundred followers on social media, another raise or a promotion, it could really be anything just depending on what your interest is, thinking that it will fill this longing if only we could have a little bit more. extreme example of this we see in scriptures with Solomon, right, and all of his wives. If one wife isn't enough, maybe two will satisfy you, or 400. Uh, But this is uh, not, you know, obviously the way that we do that today, like it's socially unacceptable to have more than one wives and illegal in all 50 states. Uh, But so there's other ways that we find to meet our needs, to get a little bit more in socially acceptable ways whether it's buying things that make you look good, whether it's drinking one more drink because that will chill you out and take the edge off, or whether it's having one more novel experience because then you get this adrenaline rush and this dopamine hit and you feel good with that. All of these can be driven by the same pattern of thought. I just need a little bit more, one more time, and then I'll be satisfied. But one more is not enough. In fact, 10 more is not enough. It's just another way that we're trying to manage our longings, trying to manage our unsatisfied, our unmet longings. In this beatitude, Christ is declaring that all humans have longings, that we will hunger and thirst. The solution is not to remove the longing, it's not to amplify the longing, the, the solution is to see the longings themselves as gifts. When the longings are seed at, seen as a gift, we can do something with them. We can interact with them. We're made for rhythm, right? The whole world runs on a rhythm. There's day, there's night, there's activity, there's rest. There's, uh, the whole world runs this way. If we didn't have longing, we actually wouldn't have motivation to do anything, Right? That the, it's the longing for sleep that makes you get up and go to bed. It's the longing for intimacy or relationship that makes you turn off the television or shut the book that you're reading and reach out to a friend. It's the longing to feel productive that makes you clean your house or go to work. Longings come from a really good place and are motivating Without longings, we would never do anything. Our culture would never change or get any better. Uh, We would just be blobs. Longings themselves imply that we're human, and it tells the gospel story at the exact same time. At the Last Supper, when Jesus is instituting what we know as communion, he uses food to point to him. He says in Matthew 26, 26, take and eat. He says, you're going to be hungry. That's how I made you to be. So take and eat this food. Give thanks and worship. We pray for our daily bread. And then in that, we see God's provision. We recognize that food is good, is a gift from God. These longings turn us back to God. And when we follow them fully, they lead us back to Christ. 
We can be calmed by a few drinks or by other substances, or we can turn to Christ for his peace that he offers us. We can feel secure in our portfolio or our bank account, or we can come to Jesus and trade our heavy burdens for his light ones. We can feel confident in our higher education and all the certificates that are on the wall. Or we can be like children before their father. Of course, these means are not necessarily bad. Education is good. Stay in school. Uh, Drinking in and of itself is not a bad thing for most people. For some, it is. But it's just not the whole story of what is being offered. If we ever think that the journey to fulfillment can be reached at a certain point and then we'll be satisfied for all of time, we've misunderstood something along the way. Because rather, the journey to fulfillment, to satisfaction is constant, right? You can't just eat your whole life's calories all at once and then you're good. Like That's just not how we're created to be. Our longing reminds us that we're not satisfied in this like one and done sort of way, but that it's ongoing just like our need for Christ is. It's not that we became Christians by praying this prayer of repentance and then we're like, see you when I die, God, don't forget me. Uh, We need him every single day along the way. Just like clockwork, I'm guessing the majority of us in two hours are going to be hungry, even though you were probably hungry this morning. But also, just like clockwork, within the next two hours, you're going to need to connect to Jesus. You're going to need to be in relationship with him. The pursuit of all of our longing continues through our entire lives. We'll always feel the need for relationship, no matter how awesome the relationships you have right now are. We'll always feel the need to be seen and heard, no matter how many times you've been seen and heard. It's a huge gift to us. When we bump up against our unfulfilled longings, we could shut them down or we could fully give in to them. Or we can use them as a tangible reminder for our need for God to satisfy us while we engage with the longings that he's placed in our hearts. John 4, Jesus is chatting it up with a Samaritan woman at the well. For a while, they talk about like what is drinking and, and what is water. Uh, but then ultimately, Jesus says to them in 4.13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We will be thirsty again. The woman at the well still needed water, just that like normal kind of water so that you don't get a kidney infection, like those types of water. We need that. We still deal with our day-to-day longings day-to-day. We're trying to make wise decisions about how to deal with those, to take care of them, because they don't ever go away. And as disciples of Christ, Christ is offering us full satisfaction in him. He's inviting us to hunger and thirst, but also to hunger and thirst not just for food and water, but for righteousness. So we're invited to right relationship with our longings, and then we're also invited to the right object of our longings, that we'd hunger and thirst for righteousness. Today, when we think about righteousness, like who's righteous? Like maybe you think of some like high profile Christians or, or Catholics or saints, uh, those people who are morally upright and they do the right thing. That is an aspect of it. Doing the right thing is really good. It's part of the definition, but it's also another motivator for why we work so many long hours. 
that it's the right thing to do. We don't want our clients to wait or we don't want somebody else on the team to have to pick up slack. Like we're motivated to do the right thing. In Numbers 20, Moses is given a very specific command from God. Anytime you say to yourself, this is a side note, anytime you say to yourself, if I only knew what God wanted me to do, I'd do it, that is not true. Read the Bible. Because so many times God tells them very specifically what to do, and then they do different things. So that's just a lie you're telling yourself. I tell myself that too. But anyway, Moses is given a very specific command of, about how to get water from a rock in order to hydrate the very thirsty Israelites and all their livestock. Uh, and when it came time to do what God asked him to do, he kind of panicked and was worried that the Israelites who were already annoyed with him that's too less of a word, very mad at him, would be even more mad at him. So he does his own thing to make sure that the water comes from the rock. Because when righteousness is only about doing the right thing or only about the result, it inadvertently becomes about us. And it becomes about us looking good or us uh, earning something so that we can be seen as good by people or even trying to convince God that we're good enough for him. It also feels really good to help other people, right? But the challenge with Moses is that his motivation was in the wrong place. Righteousness in the kingdom of God does not mean morally doing the right thing. It doesn't just mean that. It has a broader definition, meaning the act of doing what God requires. And conveniently, we know what God requires of us. In Micah 6.8, we're invited to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. To hunger and thirst for righteousness isn't just about doing things for our own righteousness, to convince people that we're good, to to convince people that we're morally upright, to convince God that we're good enough to be on his team, but it's about pursuing God's righteousness, pursuing God's justice, to do everything in our power in our circles of influence to reflect Christ. Where are the places that we get to bring justice, to be just, where we're full of mercy, where we're encouraging mercy, where we're humble? There's absolutely no mention of our own comfort or satisfaction, even in the sense of personal righteousness. Not at all. Rather, in the kingdom of God, the object of our longing isn't our own satisfaction, it's God's satisfaction. That our motivation is that God would be happy and his will would be done. It's kind of like at Christmas. Hopefully you had a loved one that you bought a gift for that you were like, they're going to love it. And then when they open it and they love it, you're like so excited because they're so excited. Did, Did anybody experience that? It's just like that. The same is true in this case. God's righteousness brings us satisfaction when we see God's work being done, the world being rearranged to reflect God. That brings us fulfillment. It brings us happiness. The countercultural portion of this beatitude is that we, we don't do these things after we're filled, right? Like our world tells us, well, take care of yourself, and then with what's extra, give it away. And that's the opposite of what God is saying. God is saying, don't take care of yourself first. Do what I'm calling you to do first and you will have more than enough. Because if you wait until there's enough to give to somebody else, even if that's not tangible, it's just emotional energy or whatever, you'll, there'll never be enough for you to give away. You'll never be fully satisfied. 
But when we put down our own need for full satisfaction and pursue the righteousness of God, we'll find that our fulfillment and satisfaction is right there. We'll courageously open doors for people to our hearts, to our resources. That will mean opening doors to refugees, opening doors to immigrants, to the unborn, to people across social divides, to the people in your office who drive you bonkers and you don't want anything to do with. Everything and everyone that God cares about is who we're invited to care about. We don't get to be selective in the kingdom of God about what we care about. But to say everything that God cares about in order to pursue his righteousness, I care about that and will be fulfilled. In Matthew 10, 39, it says, Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You've probably heard this preached before, but the idea of as you clamp down and work forward, you, you'll lose it altogether. And as you look for what God is offering you, you'll find more life than you could have possibly imagined. Our ultimate longing is that God would establish his will and his kingdom, that, would, that all would be made right in the world, and we would do everything in our power to make that happen. So finally, the right outcome of our longings. When we're actually, and it's probably just for brief moments, able to put down our need to be satisfied and instead pursue the righteousness and justice of God we will have the mind and heart of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we pursue our longings as they lead to Christ, because that's what they're intended to do, we will become God's righteousness. We'll be able to participate in making things right in the world. To give you a picture of what this looks like, I invite you to turn your eyes to the screen as we watch a few videos. My name is Mike McCarter, and I work in the technology industry. And about four years ago, I felt called to join the fight to defend vulnerable populations, starting with children and victims of sex trafficking. The real shift was when I moved from just learning about and in some cases turning away from some of the injustices I was hearing about to actually acknowledging that some of the greatest injustices in history are happening right now. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. Currently there are estimates that 20 million people are enslaved. It's not just something that occurs in faraway places, it actually occurs right here in Seattle. Seattle is the third largest port in the U.S. for human trafficking. As a project manager in the technology industry, I recognize there are a lot of untapped technologies that could be used to help in this problem space. So I started with um, a friend of mine um, on a project called PhotoDNA Cloud Service. PhotoDNA Cloud Service is focused on eradicating child exploitation imagery from the internet. From there we moved to a technology that helps find missing children and we did that in partnership with a nonprofit called Thorn. Most recently we've been working on a project that fights sex trafficking by educating victims and showing support to them and by deterring and educating buyers of these victims. So I was in church and I had this emotional experience 
where God was telling me to apply to this nonprofit called Rest, Real Escape from the Sex Trade, and apply for their volunteer jail position. And you know, I just came to reflect upon that and realized that I was an unlikely fit for that role. I've got blonde hair, I'm really smiley, I have four children. Um, but then I came back to church the following week and the, had the same experience. And then I went home and I was kind of ignoring that. I talked to my community a little more and then I came back. And the third time I had the same experience in church. So it happened three times. And then I decided I needed to listen. I went, I went for it, I applied. And when I went to go apply for this role, after the interview, they asked me to take on a leadership role and I was really excited about that. So I said yes, basically on faith. And then two and a half years later, it's been probably the most rewarding work that I've ever done in my whole life. I am so glad that I said yes and stepped into this role. We do one-on-one -on -one mentoring with incarcerated youth and then we also do um, workshops where we talk about um, sexual exploitation and the goal of that is to prevent youth from being sexually exploited. Some of the results of this work upon my life personally is that it has been transformative to me. And when I look back and reflect, I realized that when I stepped in and I said yes, that God's love began to grow inside of me exponentially for this population of youth. And um, the other thing that I realized and I'm grateful to know is that the resurrection power of Christ can change any life. There's no life that is too far gone. God is that powerful that he can change any life and I've seen that. Yeah, you should clap, it's amazing. Yeah. Mike and Carrie felt a tug from the Lord about this longing of what to do. And they've found profound contentment and satisfaction in doing what they're doing for following their hunger to the source of Christ. Though it's always been profound work that they're doing, Carrie alludes to it that there was a, a space in time when she was really uncertain. Like, is this what God's calling me to do? Is this what I should be doing? Uh, and she used this altar. She and, and Mike fre frequently go to the Ballard campus. She used that space to discern what God was calling her to because every single one of us is called to justice, to acts of justice, called to mercy, to acts of mercy, and called to humility so I think we're gonna to respond today, not I think, we are going to respond today in the same way, to give some space and some time to find what is God calling you to. If you have no idea where to start, I would encourage you to start by praying about how God wants you to respond to this immigration ban. Is there something that he would have you do tangibly, intangibly? If there is something that God's been calling you to and you need to have that second or third conversation with him, use this space for that as well. And then if you are doing it, you know what God called you to do and you're active for sure. Uh, the, the ability to keep that longing in the place where it's focused on God and not focused on ourselves would love for you to pray for yourself as well. We have prayer team members. We have these prayer books down front. We have each other. You don't have to know the person next to you to turn to them and ask for them to pray for you and what you're doing, right? We're all uh, pursuing God in some form or fashion, 
so definitely as we respond in worship through song, would invite you to spend a moment and, and ask God, how, what is he asking of you? How to pursue your, your longings that are given from him in order to, to see his kingdom come in this world? Join me in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you so much that in this room are 400 plus stories of your kingdom coming, ways that you want us to be a part of your story, that you're inviting us. Lord, we ask that you would speak clearly, that you would plant a seed, that you would water the seed, that you would bring the fruit of that seed, Lord, for your kingdom. Please use us, Lord, and that we would know what it is you're calling us to and, and be engaged with that. In your name, amen.